For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here you go. Here you go. Antihero. That's the nothing personal word of the day for Thursday, February 8th. 2024. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. An anti-hero is the main character of a story, but one who doesn't act like a typical hero. Anti-heroes actually can be a little villainous, not like Kaiser Soze villain or the guy from Goldfinger with the gold teeth or even Maud Adams from Octopussy. I don't mean that type of villain, the Joker, the Riddler Penguin. I'm talking about somebody who has really been a good guy, beloved, and then it starts wearing away. And people start saying, wow, you're a little overexposed. I'm gonna root against you. I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and the Kansas City Chiefs. My, how times have changed. Patrick Mahomes met the media yesterday and he said that he was almost embracing this new role of being the villain. Talked about, I just really like winning. And if you win a lot, that causes you to be a villain. And that got me thinking about today's show. Have the Chiefs won so much by being in the conference championship for six years in a row and trying to defend their Super Bowl championship. They're the reigning Super Bowl champs, looking for the back-to-back first time in 20 years. The fact that every break you've got a commercial with Patrick Mahomes in it or Travis Kelsey. Andy Reid is hanging out with Kelsey and Swift and the Swifties. Can there ever be an example where you win too much that your popularity turns? And is that a trade that players or management would ever want to make? And I started thinking about the cycles, the cycle of life, the cycle of teams. There were so many years when the Kansas City Chiefs were just horrid. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't win. I don't mean like back with Len Dawson. I mean sort of between Len Dawson and Patrick Mahomes. There may have been a hot second with that guy. There's a chance. Was Rich Gannon ever on the Chiefs? Joe Montana was on the Chiefs. Not well known for that, but sort of. They had some success, but generally not much. Then Patrick Mahomes comes, gets the largest contract in football history, which is no longer the largest, although now it's been redone. The Chiefs win, and then they win and win and win and win and win and win. And then we get to talk about Patrick Mahomes never having even played a road playoff game. And then he goes in and wins two road playoff games in 24. It's an amazing story. And then you layer that with the insanity that is Travis Kelsey, who even before Taylor Swift, he and Jason Kelsey had become way more famous than they ever had due to their podcast. 
due to the success of the Eagles and the Chiefs, due to the fact they played each other in the Super Bowl just last year, made his mother even more famous. Then you go on top of that, the Taylor Swift angle. And you are redlining exposure. And this is when your agent says to you, we strike while the iron's hot. We are taking this deal, that deal, this deal, that deal. It's the anti-Daniel Day-Lewis plan. The Daniel Day-Lewis plan is that when I take a movie, that's like the Daniel Day-Lewis, Nicolas Cage, opposite. Nicolas Cage, Travis Kelsey, identical. When Daniel Day-Lewis takes a movie, you see it because you know he's living it and you know his choices are great. And you know that he would rather not do a movie than do a crappy movie. We know this. He's earned that. People earn their reputations and then they have to work their ass off in order to unlearn. For people to unlearn why they either like or don't like someone. I've spent lots of time with Levitard talking about likability talking about where people fit in the Levitar universe. I talk about it with Coco all the time. What's our, where are we with nothing personal? My agent will call me and say, you've totally repopulated your Google. Congratulations. That takes years. And when it first started, he said, most people won't be able to do it. Everyone quits. No one sticks to it. But Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs just keep going. Like the Energizer Bunny like the cart going down the hill in the opening scene of the first jackass. The grocery cart just keeps going. People are shooting cannons and rocks, throwing things. And the Chiefs just don't move off course. One of the things when you are running a team is you've got to be aware of distractions. And you've got to be aware how they're impacting your team. Distractions come in many forms. They can come from inside your clubhouse and they can come from outside your clubhouse to your clubhouse, or they can be outside your clubhouse to people outside your clubhouse, impacting players when they're outside the clubhouse. Knowing how to deal with each of these distractions is important because you deal with them differently. When it's clubhouse on clubhouse distraction, you very simply shut the door, you do an all hands on deck meeting, and you try to get some kumbaya in a room in order to keep pulling the same direction. And you put it under the category of we can't win if we don't all pull the same way, which is wrong, but we say that. The distraction from outside the clubhouse, you don't have a clubhouse meeting at all. You deal with the individuals who are impacted. You deal with smaller groups, individual people. Hey, we know you're going through X. Hey, we know you're going through Y. Make sure you lean on us, lean on your friends. And then we'll go to the friends in the clubhouse and say, hey, player X is having these issues. When it's outside to outside distraction, you don't even talk about it in the clubhouse. You do it like on the team bus. You do it in the hotel. You do it at the bar. You do it when you're seeing the players outside of the work atmosphere. So I was always very, very careful and very clear on how I wanted to deal with these things. And one of the things I would have told the Chiefs during this Super Bowl run here in Vegas is that there is no greater Super Bowl distraction than what you are currently under. 
It's the number one of all time, no recency bias. There has not been a team. I don't care about the undefeated Patriots. Don't care. Don't care about Tom Brady and Gronk. None of it compares to the spotlight that is on Kelsey and Mahomes. The power of Taylor. And so when Patrick Mahomes has to actually come out and say to you, I don't mind being the villain. It fascinates me because he had to have this conversation in his head with his, with his agent, with his teammates, saying it's all changed for us now. And it's not like the Dodgers who came out a couple of days ago and we did a quick segment on them saying, hey, Mookie Betts, this is our World Series. Hey, Gavin Lux, everybody could have signed Otani if they wanted to. When you have a good offseason in baseball, teams certainly want you to lose. Other owners want you to lose. Absolutely. But you're not really the villain. Maybe there's a tinge of jealousy. Maybe there's a tinge of dislike. But villain? No, I don't think it rises to that. There are individual players who can be villainous, like a Trevor Bauer, who, by the way, Coca, side note, before we finish this first segment, did you see Gary Sheffield Jr., who, by the way, here's a news alert. If you're trying to get a job, do not hire Rachel Lubo or Gary Sheffield Jr. to be your spokesperson. That's number one. Number two, when Sheffield tweets, hey, this you got a guy right here willing to play for the minimum, and then Trevor Bauer retweets it saying, you want to sign Blake Snell, give him hundreds of millions of dollars, good on you, good on him. I'm here ready to play at the league minimum. No problem. Trevor Bauer thinks that he is somehow going to pressure a team into signing him because he's willing to play at the minimum. Hey, him at the minimum has got to be better than some schnook at the minimum. Nope. Not going to happen. NGTH, baby. I said it, wait to see, and I'm sticking to it, Coca. Trevor Bauer will not play in Major League Baseball again. Certainly not this year. That's not where Kelsey is. That's not where Mahomes is. They're not that sort of villain. They're not the Bauer villain. They're sort of the popular, you keep winning, and we're so jealous of you. They're dating Taylor Swift. And my God, I have a little schadenfreude in that your family gets in trouble, which is horrible to ever think that way. But some people think it brings you down a notch. I think it makes the Chiefs come out even harder and stronger on Sunday. If I'm the Niners, I'm sort of concerned about this new role that the Chiefs are willing to take. The Niners are an interesting team to me. Been cheering against the Niners forever because they always seem to get in the way of our Giants. And sometimes we'd get through them like we did in the NFC Championship in 1991. But the Niners just always had it. It's like every team had it outside of New York. I mean, I guess the Islanders had a bit of a dynasty, but I wasn't following them at the time. Of course, the Rangers won the Cup in 94, but that's a long time ago already. 30 damn years. But the Niners are an interesting organization. One thing that they've done really well is they found a rule that they liked and they took advantage of it. Do you remember that little rule a long time ago when there was all this issue that not really started by Jim Trotter, but certainly advanced by him, but the fact that there were not enough minorities in football, not enough minority head coaches, not enough minority executives. And back when it was fashionable to be diverse and inclusive, 
And now I think there's people who call it being too woke. The pendulum has swung too far, whatever those people say. I don't agree with any of that because I think that by definition, pendulums have an axis that they're on. Perspectively, it may look like it's gone too far, but in reality, it likely has not gone far enough. Perspective of someone on the other side, of course. So this rule was created to help minority coaches and GMs and executives move on and get jobs. And what the NFL owners agreed to do is that if you develop a minority and coach into the front office, and if that coach or executive is hired away to either be another team's head coach or a GM, if you develop that executive, that minority executive gets poached, instead of a, thank you very much, see you later, in fact, you get compensatory picks in the third round. That's a major thing. In baseball, in football, not in basketball, because there I don't think there even are three rounds. But a third round pick in football, if you can get that. So the Niners had Robert Sala. See you later, Jets head coach for now. They had Martin Mayhew. He's now the commander's general manager. How about the Dolphins coach, Mike McDaniel? He was hired away from the Niners. How about Rand Carthon? He's now the Titans GM. How about Tomiko Ryans? He's the Texans head coach. What did all those people have in common? They're all diverse. They all came from the Niners, and they all resulted in the Niners getting all these extra comp picks. Seth Wickersham of ESPN wrote something about this recently, and he said, Owners have complained to the league office about the number of comp picks the 49ers have received for developing coaches and executives of color. Hell yeah. We hit the point, folks. I really love the idea of nuclear energy, just not in my backyard. I really love the idea of helping out the homeless with shelters, just not in my backyard or my church or synagogue. I really love the idea of rewarding teams who have black or Hispanic or any minority coaches taken away from them. I love that, they say. Wait a minute, it's creating a competitive disadvantage. Hold on. I can't go on the record as saying I think the 49ers are horse crap for taking advantage of this because it's going to make me look like I am not advancing minority candidates. I just can't choose them as well as the Niners. So these owners are now complaining about something they voted on. It's my favorite thing to do was sitting in owners meetings, listening to owners or presidents talk about things in a way as though they don't remember that they are the way they are. These things are the way they are because you, the owner, voted on it to be that way. It's sort of like complaining about Steve Cohn now. Hey, man, he's terrible. He's killing me. Well, you approved him. Yeah, but I didn't think he'd... Really? You didn't think he'd what? So the owners are all PO'd. They call... Can you imagine this phone call? Hey, Roger, it's, it's Jerry. Listen, can we, can we take this off record? Do you mind? Can you just send your minions out of your office? Hey, Roger, I got to tell you, what you're giving the Niners, 
I'm all for black and brown people, Roger, but let me tell you something. These picks, it's unfair. It's absolutely unfair. The fact that no one wants to hire my minorities means that I don't get comp picks. And this yutz over there in Frisco keeps getting them. It's as though the league is trying to be anti-cowboys. That would be a funny call from Jerry Jones to Roger Goodell. Another funny call, like a team... <laughs> Imagine a team like the Giants. All right, what do I have to do? I just got to hire a bunch of diverse people and then make sure they get other jobs and I get more picks. All right, I'm on that. My God, no one will hire the people I hired. Why is that? Does it count if I fire the guy because he stinks and then someone signs him? Do I get the comp pick for that? No, no, got to be poached. It's interesting. And the problem that Roger Goodell has is he has to do something about it. Because Roger Goodell, like Manfred, knows how to count votes. And if enough owners are unhappy with this comp pick reward for diversity, equity, inclusion, then a change is going to have to be made. How will the NFL announce a change to a program that's working, but only working for one team? and a program that was announced right in the throes of all the problems as a total PR, look what we're doing. We are rewarding teams for hiring and training minorities, and then we're encouraging other teams to tamper with them. So Raj Goodell has to get up in front of the camera and take his new extension out for a walk, and he has to announce that we're tweaking. Second commissioner to talk about tweaking maybe the third. We're going to tweak this rule. And here's what we're going to say. No team can get more than three comp picks in a period of five years, 10 years. Well, that's not going to fly well with organizations because, and I don't mean teams, I mean outside organizations, because they're going to say, wow, that means that a team can get a bunch of minorities hired early and then have tons of years left and just go with all white guys because there's no benefit anymore. We want a pipeline. That's what the Players Association, that's what the league office, that's what owners are looking for, a pipeline. So I have a better suggestion. The better suggestion is that teams should get the comp picks not for developing and then when they get poached. The league should have a centralized group of candidates who they are teaching how to do PR. They're teaching how to do clock management. They're teaching them how to do timeout management. They're teaching them the ins and outs of the salary cap. Then teams who are hiring go to this pool of candidates. They pull one from the pool and then they get their pick. So instead of getting a pick when you lose a guy, how about giving a pick when you get a guy, which will always incentivize, hey, you want to hire 10 minorities out of our program? Fantastic. Here's 10 picks. We'll max them out at three years. So you got three for the first three years, one for the fourth year, way to go. And if you keep going, we'll keep adding them up. No limit. All right, fine, limit, 25. Well, what happens when I get to 25? Do you want me to just stop? Nah, we'll change the number once we get there. Incentivizing people to do things is done either with money, title, or non-monetary compensation. Sometimes non-monetary compensation is such a powerful elixir that you get people to act in a way they never would have acted 
So the example is that if you're in a sales department and you offer a car, an Escalade, a Ferrari, who cares, whatever car it is, people are all over that program. They want to participate because they're getting a car. If I came and said, hey, we're doing two contests over the next two weeks for 10 grand each or 10 grand each for the next 10 weeks, make your money and you can buy anything you want. People would always prefer to have know what they're getting when they start versus doing a whole project and then saying, oh, what's behind door number one? So I propose to have people in the NFL know, hey, if we do this, we're the ones who get the pick. Because now as it stands, when the Dolphins tamper with and get Mike McDaniel to coach their team, the Dolphins don't get anything. I mean, in theory, they get McDaniel, but it was the Niners who did. You're going to see some changes. As a matter of fact, we're going to do an official wait to see. Wait to see when I tell you something's going to happen. If it does, great. If it doesn't, fine. As you know from shows this week, when we don't get it right, we do tell you. Wait to see. The NFL will adjust the program awarding picks to teams who lose minority execs or coaches. There's good, I should have written tweak. NFL will tweak the program. You can do it however you want, Coca, in the tracking document on davidsampsonpodcast.com. But the NFL is going to make an adjustment because Roger Goodell knows there's a block of owners who are angry, and he doesn't like when blocks of owners do anything together. All right, when we come back, it's Thursday. It's time to review a movie from our top 100. The random number generator came up with Silence of the Lambs. So I'm going to review that when we come back. And then we're going to talk about all the excitement around this new Netflix baseball documentary as though people didn't have Showtime 12 years ago. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400 or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425 right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson, Matthew Coker, coming to you live from New York on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. It's not that I feel like I'm missing the party in Vegas, Matt. That was not the right point that was made on the on Levitard about my lack of being there. 
I just think it's wrong that they didn't ask you and I to be there to do our show from there because the benefit of doing a show on site where you could meet more people, you could be more visible. I mean, they gave me a billboard, but that's fine, but it's way better or a rotating billboard. It's way, way better to be at a place. Number 80 on my top 100 is a movie called Silence of the Lambs. And it made me think of a new top five. I think I may have done it with Adnan, as a matter of fact. And I think we did top five villains or top five antiheroes. I wanted to do top five people who have to wear a mask in a movie or top five mask wearing characters in a movie. I mean, you can go to the catcher in Sandlot. I'd probably go to Engelbert from Bad News Bears, maybe even Phantom of the Opera, but people who wear masks, maybe Ethan Hunt. But when Hannibal Lecter comes out in the hockey goalie mask, and he's being wheeled out. If you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs, it's an Academy Award winning movie with Jodie Foster who plays an FBI forensic psychologist who's trying to get the trust of a serial killer so the serial killer can help them solve different serial killings. Meanwhile, the guy who's the serial killer, Anthony Hopkins, is absolutely brilliantly psychotic. There's been amazing lines that have come out of Silence of the Lambs. I still, when I have Chianti, think about Silence of the Lambs. I think about him in his cage in Silence of the Lambs. I think about the girl who was trapped by the serial killer from Silence of the Lambs. I think about the talent of Sir Anthony Hopkins. And I realize that generally movies like that are not my favorite. I don't like horror films. I don't like being scared. Silence of the Lambs is not a horror movie, but it's scary. It's scary because Hannibal Lecter, can you imagine if people thought like fans thought that that's the way Anthony Hopkins was? Because it's funny, it goes the other way, doesn't it? When you see a actor or an actress and they've played a character, you just assume they're that character, but it's called acting. The one time that it may be not acting, but I can't wait, I want to meet little Dickie. I don't know who could ever get an interview with Little Dicky, but if we could, Coca, I would love to sit with him because I want to know, is Little Dicky Dave? Is that what he's like? Is he the guy who goes into the back knee doctor, dermatologist and say, by the way, can you look at my pee-pee? I'm just curious, is that him or is that him acting? Most of the time, it's people acting. I'd watch Silence of the Lambs. All right. Coco, will you please bring up the random number generator from our sheet where somebody made this for us? And I'm sorry, Coco, I can't remember the name right off the top of my head. I want to say it was something O'Brien, but I may be thinking of something else. And when we press a button, it's going to tell us what movie we're going to watch next. And the yellow marks have X'd out what we've already reviewed. Look at all that green. All right, Coco, find me some green. Oh, have we done that one? <laughs> I think I've reviewed that recently. Or did I just review the new one? It just came out with number. I can't see what number that is. But it's a movie called Arthur with Dudley Moore. The original Arthur, not Russell Brand. Arthur with one of the best soundtracks. Once in your life, you find her. Bitterman, played by Ted Ross, also the baseball scout in Stealing Home. 
You know how I love the puck with Sir John Gilgood. I may watch that today, although I can't because I'm, I'm close to the end of Lost. I'm down to five more episodes of the final season of Lost. I cannot wait. I may do an entire show reviewing Lost, if that would be okay. All right. I know what we're talking about now. It's time. Yesterday, an announcement was made that made me laugh. Huge release by Netflix. Staggering access. Brilliant concept. We're going to do a documentary about a baseball team, and we're going to follow them all season. Never before done. Unprecedented access to players, Netflix said. Really? Has anybody heard of the franchise? We did the franchise in 2012. Cameras everywhere. Access everywhere. There was nothing that was redone for the show our year. They were there for the original suspension of Ozzy Gein. We didn't restage it. They were there when everything was going on. Cameras were rolling. Players were totally distracted and annoyed. But I made everyone do it because I thought that when you have a chance to work with Mike Tolan, when you have a chance to work with David Nevins, when you have a chance to draw attention to your new ballpark, to draw attention to your team, it's branding, it's marketing, you do it. Getting any owner to do it has been very difficult. We got Jeffrey Lurie to do it because he didn't listen to the other owners who said, don't do this. You're making a mistake. Then when we had a bad season, he told every other owner it was because of the franchise. It was because of the cameras. It was because of the access. Well, here we are 12 years later, and it's like we're in an alternate universe with announcements that they're doing something that is spectacular because it's worked so well with Drive to Survive, with Breakpoint, with Full Swing. Hey, if something works, copy it. If part four works, make a part five. Sequels upon sequels upon sequels. So they do this press release where they announce that Netflix is going to follow them around all year. And then they're going to do, instead of episodic, the way the franchise was during the course of a season, which was amazing, they're going to wait and then they're going to edit and produce and edit and produce. And you're going to see what it is to be a Red Sox player. Boy, they picked a good team to do it. A lot of great stories around the Red Sox this year. They've been very active in the market. You know, they just brought back Theo, who it was made painfully clear will not have day-to-day operational responsibilities. Okay, whatever. And they have signed all these great free agents. Remember, they signed... Uh, hold on, I can't remember who they signed. But let's just pretend they signed a free agent. They're being projected to win 100 games, finish in first place. Oh, hold on. That's the Yankees. The Red Sox are projected to win 75 games and finish in last place. Well, that'll be some exciting stories. Maybe they'll have a managerial firing. Nah, probably not. A GM firing? Nah. President firing? No. Maybe they'll let the cameras for an episode go to Liverpool. Or maybe to the Penguins if they make the playoffs. Or maybe even better, LeBron will come visit the Red Sox. Anybody want to make a bet that one of the episodes, LeBron, as part of Fenway Sports Group, 
is at a Red Sox game in a Red Sox jersey during the summer after the Lakers season's over. Anyone care to make a wager on that? You think Netflix was born yesterday, fell off the turnip truck? But the Red Sox want to make it clear we're not getting paid. Yeah, the Marlins didn't get paid either. Except we did. We got paid in exposure. Matter of fact, I'm staring at a poster right now from the franchise this season with the Miami Marlins. There's Josh Johnson and Jose Reyes and John Buck, Stanton, Guillen, Jeffrey, myself, Burley, Hanley. Golly, how did we not win that year? Oh, because there's Heath Bell. That's why. Hmm, that was quite an episode. Anyway, so I've been thinking about this Red Sox and Netflix because it was a dual announcement. They're following the team in 24, nothing new here. But they're also doing a documentary on the 2004 World Series that broke the curse. Now that's interesting. As long as there have been cameras rolling and they documented it, Netflix is going to put together a great documentary. It was a tremendous story with the Red Sox winning. That's the year they came back. I don't know this for sure. I believe it's the year they came back from down 3 nothing. only team in history to do it, when Dave Roberts actually did it. So I'm pretty excited by it all. But I guess I have to tell you a little bit of a nugget about this. In full disclosure, Metal Arc Media is involved. <laughs> the documentary about the 2004 Red Sox is going to be produced by Metal Arc Media. It's one of the programs that they are working on, not while they're in Vegas, but other times. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. And I'm super excited about that one. But the 2024 show, old news, old news. Look for LeBron, by the way. Okay. Did the Sixers cover against the Warriors yesterday? We had the Sixers plus two and a half. What was the final score of the game? I think the Warriors won by 69 points because it turns out that I played for the Sixers last night along with Coca. Samson, Coca, and Law were the starting players for the Sixers. Wasn't quite aware of that. We're now 17 and 22. The Super Bowl cannot come soon enough. Please. The Warriors play back-to-back. -back. They're playing the Pacers tonight. We're taking the Pacers six and a half over the Warriors. I don't think the Warriors are going to win back-to-back -back games. Super Bowl prop bet of the day, and we'll recap them all on tomorrow's show. Brock Purdy quietly can scramble, quietly gets things accomplished when his team scores 30 points. All we have to do is lay 115 to win 100 for total combined yards of over 266.5. The guy may run for 60 yards and throw for 210. You got yourself a winner over Brock Purdy. I love my props. So far, we have McCaffrey first, Niners TD, McCaffrey anytime TD, Kelsey anytime TD, and now Brock Purdy over total combined yards of 266 and a half. All right, let me bring you to an owner's meeting where it actually – during owners meetings, there's an owners meeting going on right now. The commissioner is going to meet the media today. If he says anything worth talking about, we will talk about it tomorrow. I assume they're going to ask about the Oakland A's, and I can't wait for what he says about that. Look for him to continue to be bullish on the A's move to Vegas. Look for him to be cautiously optimistic about major leaguers in the Olympics.
look for him to comment about the rule changes and the continued momentum and look for him to discuss why it's so good for the game that Otani's a Dodger. Those would be the talking points where I'd be advising Rob on what he should talk about post-owners meeting. When asked about the Diamond Sports and just continue to say we are going to have games available to our fans in a, a seamless way, we promise you that. We are still following this closely. If asked about ESPN, no comment. If asked about the new bundling channels, no comment. But we'll see what he says tonight. One of the things that happens after the main meeting is when Rob talks to the media. The day before the main meetings are when you have committee meetings. And I was on a bunch of committees over my time. And one of the things we talked about was the World Baseball Classic. And I was on these committees when the when baseball got eliminated from the Olympics. And it was a major kick in the nads when that happened. We were embarrassed. We wanted this World Baseball Classic to replace the Olympics. We wanted it to be like the World Cup. We wanted to do it every four years. We had owners who were in favor. But then when it came time to staffing teams, owners said, don't let my players go. Sort of like that was supposed to sound like, let my people go. Players didn't want to play. Some did want to play. Owners were reticent. We kicked around the idea of World Baseball Classic in each month. And we went through a document. And when we got to July, we said, hmm, World Baseball Classic in July. Let me ask you a question, Commissioner. The broadcast deal with Fox, would they give up an all-star game? Because we could do the World Baseball Classic every four years, and every four years have no all-star game. Do it right during the break. Do the qualifying games at some point. Even have, you know, two days off during a season where the league stops, where you can do the qualifiers, and then you do the semis and the finals during the all-star break. It'd be outstanding. We'd have no issue. Players would be warmed up and ready. Injury concerns would be lessened. The schedule would not be hurt. The spring training schedule would not be hurt. The eyes of the world would be on the semis and finals as opposed to in March. And we never got the votes to do it because there was a concern that A, missing an All-Star game once every four years would not be optimal. But B, we had a hard time thinking about how to do the World Baseball Classic in a very short period of time because no one liked the idea of splitting it up. Because teams could be different, players could be different, et cetera. Well, yesterday, Casey Wasserman, our good friend, Casey Wasserman, who was chairman of the LA 28 committee, Olympic committee, where baseball is back in the Olympics. He made a pitch to major league baseball owners at the meetings where he wants major league players to participate in the Olympics. And Evan Drellick and others at The Athletic and many others are reporting and talking about the possibility of Major League Baseball players playing in the Olympics. And here's what they're going to do. We'll do a tournament in mid-July. We'll do it during the All-Star break. We'll do it instead of the All-Star game. And we may cut the regular season by, by three or four games, which means everybody's going to lose two home games, no problem. We can pay the Yankees and the Cardinals and other teams who make tons of money. Most of the teams don't care if they lose two home games. Replacement revenue is easy to come by. 
It's not like sponsors are going to say, hey, you promised me 81, you're delivering me 79. Hey, what about a rainout? We never guarantee you 81 games. So you have a little tournament, maybe six or eight nations in the Olympics with full major leaguers. Make it just like the World Baseball Classic, except it'll be part of the Olympics. All right. I got a couple issues here. What's the best part about the World Baseball Classic? That it's just baseball. How many of you focus on baseball in the Olympics? Well, you focus on basketball when it's the dream team, when it's players who you've heard of. So if major league players were playing on teams in the Olympics, you'd watch baseball during the Olympics. Fantastic. How would you feel about your best players from your team going to the Olympics in the season? Not after the season, not in the off season like in basketball, but during the season. How do you like it when your players leave for international friendlies or for the World Cup? They just stop the games. Sometimes they continue on without the best players, but sometimes they just stop them. So the thought is, we're going to assuage all fans' concerns and all owners' concerns. We're going to stop baseball, just like we do for the All-Star break. And we'll fly players. This time it's to LA, but it doesn't matter whether it's to Paris, whether it's to Japan, wherever it's to wherever the Olympics are. And then what of the World Cup? The thing of, excuse me, 4869, but what of the World Baseball Classic? Do you think there's room in our sport for a World Baseball Classic and an Olympics? So you play the World Baseball Classic every four years and then every two, every four years is the Olympics. So there's only two years in between these type of tournaments. No, owners will not allow that. Once every four years is about all they're going to take giving up their players to do something that doesn't lead to a World Series trophy. So that means that you get rid of all of what you've built, all of the brand equity in the World Baseball Classic, all of the excitement that came with Shohei Otani, all of the revenue that goes to the home stadiums who host these, whether it's in LA or Arizona or Miami or Florida or Tampa or Oakland in a new ballpark or Tampa in a new ballpark. The Olympics are not hosted there. The benefit of the home team fan seeing players from all over the country, players from all over the world. Access to World Baseball Classic games way easier than access to Olympic tickets. Way more affordable. What about the broadcast revenue you get for the World Baseball Classic? Are you carving out the ability to get part of the NBC, what NBC paid for the Summer Olympics? That's going to go to Major League Baseball? As an owner, we had revenue. The players had revenue. Players got paid to be in the WBC. You think we're getting revenue from the Olympics? All Casey Wasserman said is, hey, we'll try to help you cover insurance, which is a huge reason why some players can't play in the WBC. And similarly, it'll be a huge reason why some players can't play in the Olympics. You got to insure the players in case they get hurt, in case there's an Edwin Diaz situation or plenty of others. All of the benefits to the World Baseball Classic that we dreamed up in Major League Baseball, that we are executing, that is still sort of new. It's like in the 20s. It's not 100 years old, but it's getting there. It's beginning to gain this amazing momentum. The other side of the argument that you're going to hear is the Olympics. It's the Olympics. Quick, 
who won the World Cup last year? Hurry up, raise your hand. Hey, to the audience out there. Messi, Argentina, good one. Quick, who won the Olympic medal in basketball last year? Anybody? Last time there were Summer Olympics, gold medal in gymnastics? Anybody? Who won the World Baseball Classic? You nailed it. You watched it. Otani got trout out. Everyone remembers that. I'll tell you something, Coca. I'm a little worked up about this situation, only in that I know exactly how this is going to come out publicly. I know exactly what Major League Baseball is going to do, and I have great respect for what Casey Wasserman's trying, and I agree with him for trying. I just want owners to take a look and decide before you agree with Major League players in the Olympics, make sure you have a good solution for the World Baseball Classic. It's not been a failure. Don't give up on it. Yeah, they may anyway. Wait to see. All right, before I go today, just one more thing that came to me during the show as I was thinking about Super Bowl weekend. What other event has with it this level of buildup? Remember when the Super Bowl, there was only one week in between for a while and it wasn't enough. We really wanted the two weeks. And by the time the second week comes, you're so ready because you've built up, you built up, you've got your plans. You're going to Vegas. You're not going to Vegas. You're hosting a party. You're going to a party. You're staying home. You're going to bet. You're not going to bet. You're going to be one of the 63 million people who bet $23 billion or you're not. You have such anticipation of the excitement. And meanwhile, what CBS is doing, what Metal Arc Media is doing, what your favorite show is doing, they are just churning out content because we can't get enough. It's everywhere. You can't swing a thimble and not get Super Bowl content. Ancillary, it's all ancillary. And we're sucking it up like leeches to the point we don't even have time on this show to talk about two topics that I wanted to get to and didn't. Because the Super Bowl is like imprinted in my mind. And all I'm thinking of is Brock Purdy. All right, I'm worked up now. Coca, I wish we had more time. I want to do these two segments. I don't even know how we can. Can we do it tomorrow? Can we try? I can't hear you. All right, folks. Guess what? We'll be live again. Don't forget, Levitar's live in Vegas tonight, I think, 5 p.m. Pacific or 5 p.m. Eastern. I can't remember which. Just check. It'll be on YouTube. Everybody's there partying, and Coke and I are doing shows right here for you every day, 8 a.m. live. It's just business. This is nothing personal.